Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. Thanks for joining me to break down the week five slate and dive into some props that I like this week. But as always, let's look back at last week to start things off and identify one of the props that we bet last week and sort of take a look at it, see where we were right or wrong. And this week, I want to look back on the one of the Thursday night props that I gave out last week, the over on Jamar Chase's receiving yards. It was a winner last week. Um, and I think it's notable that T Higgins also hit the over because the logic that I used to support the argument for Chase could really have been applied to either one of those. I chose Chase, but you easily could have argued for Higgins. And obviously it ended up working for both of them. And I think that the trend is something that we should pay attention to moving forward and maybe even use this week. Uh, the trend that was basically based on differences in how the Bengals offense works when they're facing a defense that uses a lot of too high coverages versus one that does not. And the Dolphins ranked, entering last week, they ranked 30th in their use of the too-high safety look. Now, when the defense is in a too-high safety look, what I noticed was that Chase's target share dropped significantly. Higgins dropped a little bit as well. And the reason for it seems to be that Burrow is just much more conservative. They use a lot of shorter routes. They don't attack downfield to the outside of the field as often. And obviously, those are the types of routes that... Uh, both Higgins and Chase really excel on. So it limits their ability to rack up yardage on big plays when they aren't attacking downfield. So with the Dolphins not using too high look very often, we figured, well, this should increase their usage, increase the probability of some big plays. Chase should be able to hit his over. It was a close call. I didn't get it until a little bit later in the second half, but he did go over. He did have some big plays and Higgins obviously had, uh, he went way over. His was His over was an easy one. If you bet that, I think you may have even got the over in the first half. Um, but let's just dive into the numbers to see how it played out. And, you know, as we expected, when the Dolphins were in the too high safety look, Jamar Chase had one reception on one target for 14 yards. When they were in any other kind of coverage look, three receptions on five targets, 67 yards. So it definitely played out as we expected. He did not have usage. I, I forgot to write down how many routes he ran but it was around 10 11 12 something like that routes that he ran against two high coverages so only one target on those routes obviously every team shows multiple looks throughout the game they're not going to ever face a team that doesn't use too high safety looks and so that's a really good way of gauging whether this is working or whether this trend was you know the right call and it seemed like even just within this sample size of one game it really played out exactly as we were expecting. When the Dolphins were in that too high safety look, Chase did not get, uh, Chase was not on the receiving end of Burrow's targets. And when they shied away from that, you know, Chase performed well. Three receptions, 67 yards, allowed us to hit the over just based on those plays. Um, so moving forward, I think this is a trend that we should keep in the back of our mind. And maybe we want to use it this week because they play the Ravens this week. The Ravens ranked 24th in their too high safety usage at a 33% rate. Now, I'm a little hesitant to bet it, regardless of where the line is, based on how the Ravens attacked uh, the the Bengals last year. And obviously, those, those were two easy wins for the for the Bengals. Chase dominated in both games, but the, the Ravens really dramatically shifted how they lined up defensively. In their first meeting, they used a too high safety look on only 14%. Their second meeting, they ramped that usage up to 44%. It was our second highest use of the too high safety look in a game all season. Now, 
Chase still had a great game, finished with 120 something yards in that matchup. Definitely hit the over in both of those games. So, you know, maybe maybe Chase is able to hit the over again in this game, regardless of how the Ravens line up. But the fact that they adjusted their coverage significantly from one game to the next, it makes me hesitate a little bit just because it it gives me pause to try. I don't want to. I don't want to guess what the Ravens are going to do. They, even though they don't use the too high safety look often because they fluctuated so much in those two games last year, I don't have a lot of confidence in predicting how often they're going to line up in that look in this game. So I'm going to, I would lean over based on the fact that, you know, most of the time they're not using that too high safety look at a high rate, but I just don't have as much confidence just because we, we did see them adjust last year. The other reason why, I'm a little hesitant without knowing what the line is yet. The line might just get up too high. I think if it goes above 80, I just would stay away. Chase's over-under and his receiving yards has been available in the low 70s this year. But those two games against the Ravens, he obliterated the over. And those are two really high-profile games. Those are two big wins, especially the first one, really kind of put the Bengals on the map last year as a team that we should start to take seriously as a contender in the AFC. So... You know, everyone is well aware of what Chase did to the Ravens last season. I think that I think that because those games were so high profile, it probably uh, tips this line a little bit higher than it normally would be. So, I it, we could see a significant jump this week. I think if it gets to eighty or above, I stay away. If it's below that, if it's maybe 76, 77, something there, I would lean over based on the trend. But as I said, I just don't have as much confidence in what the Ravens are going to do defensively as I would against some other teams. All right, let's dive into some other props that I like for this week. And we'll start with the quarterbacks. And we're going to start with one that might surprise you. I'm going to take the over on Kenny Pickett's completions. And I would expect this line to be available. Well, I mean, it's hard to say because it's his first start. I'm expecting it to be able to be available in the teens somewhere. I would expect it to be pretty low. And so I'm going to, if it's available somewhere in the mid teens, maybe even the high teens, I'm going to probably take the over. Um, I think, I think the, the reason why this is going to be a low number, I'm expecting it to be a low number at least because they're playing the bills, clearly one of the best defenses in the league right now, but I'm targeting the completions prop rather than the yardage prop because the bills defense, although it clearly is one of the best units in the league defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier is doing a great job there this season. They also run the most vanilla defense in the league, and it's not even close. This is the most simplistic, boring vanilla defense that exists in football right now. It works for a couple reasons. One, they do have an effective pass rush, even when they only bring four pass rushers. They also have a very talented secondary. And so their vanilla defense works because they're just more talented than, than everyone else. And, you know, that's certainly true against the Steelers offense with, you know, a rookie quarterback. But when you dig a little bit deeper into the numbers, they're not limiting completion. They're just limiting yardage. So let's put some numbers behind calling them a vanilla defense. They Their primary formation is zone coverage with no blitz. That's about as vanilla as you can get. That's 86% of opponent dropbacks outside the red zone for the Bills this year have been 
zone coverage, no blitz. The league average is 60%. They're about 10% higher than the, than the next highest rate there. So they are the, the most bland vanilla defense there is. And like I said, they trust their front seven to get, they trust their front four to get pressure and they trust their linebackers and safeties to basically keep the play in front of them. Because when you're playing zone coverage, you're in, you're inviting more completions underneath when you're only rushing four pass rushers. You're also, you know, acknowledging the fact that you're not going to generate the highest amount of pressure that you possibly could. So all that leads to a higher completion rate. And sure enough, the Bills defense this year, they rank fourth in yards per attempt allowed. So they're doing a great job limiting yardage, but they do rank 19th in completion percentage allowed. So they're basically saying, we're going to give you these short routes. You're going to complete the ball for four or five yards, but our linebackers and safeties are going to make the play. They're not going to miss those tackles. You're not going to get big plays against us, and we'll just give you those dink, dink and dunk plays and we're going to give up a little bit of yardage there, but we're going to we're not going to give up big plays. And so I think that actually plays really well into what the Steelers want to do with Kenny Pickett. They want to dink and dunk a little bit and just build up his confidence in his first career start. And we saw that last week when he came into the game. Pickett's average time to throw last week was 2.5 seconds. I said it's one game. It's a really small sample size. But over the course of a season, there's only seven quarterbacks with a lower average time to throw. And the reason that was so so low was that he had quite a few plays where he was getting the ball out almost immediately. And had 62% of his throws last week were released in two point and were released in two seconds or less. That's the second highest rate anyone has had in a game all year. So that feels very deliberate. They were designing the offense to get him those quick, easy throws basically take the decision-making out of his hands entirely. Now, there's a little bit of pre-snap decision-making that probably goes into that, but once the ball is snapped, I mean, if you're getting rid of the ball in two seconds, there's not really time to dissect what's happening out there. You're just you're going to your first read. And so they're taking a lot of the decision-making out of his hands and getting the ball out quickly. And it's something that the Steelers' offense should excel at because – that's what they were really doing with Ben Roethlisberger over the last few years of his career. When he lost all of his mobility at the end of his career, they designed a really quick strike offense and Roethlisberger excelled at that. Now Pickett's not going to play up to that caliber. Probably not. He's not going to play even as well as uh, Roethlisberger did in his final, uh, final seasons. Um, But this is an offense that's used to having to play fast, do those quick strike plays. It's something that they obviously went back to when Pickett was forced into the game last week. And the Bills defense kind of wants you to play that way against them. So I think it's just a perfect matchup of this is what the Steelers want to do. This is what the Bills defense wants you to do. I think Pickett's going to have a lot of plays where it's just like a quick quick slant and it's four yards the bills make a tackle jump back up to the next play i mean it's going to be it's not going to be a really exciting offense but i do think it's what the Steelers want to do to build up his confidence in his first career start so i would expect a lot of attempts a lot of completions probably not a ton of yards because the bills are not going to give up big plays but i do like the over on kenny pickett's completions all right, I've got another quarterback prop I like this week, and it's the under on Daniel Jones's passing yards. Now, Jones is obviously banged up right now. 
We don't know for sure that he's going to play. Latest word is the Giants are optimistic that he will play. If he does, I like the under on his passing yards. And if somebody else steps in, I like the under on their passing yards, whether that's uh, someone that they sign. I know Jake Fromm has been the name most linked to them because of his familiarity with Brian Dable and Buffalo. The under on Jones' passing yards so far is 4-0 this season. So we've got a strong trend going in this direction. But one of the reasons why I particularly like it this week is they're going up against Green Bay. And I think Green Bay's offense actually is a big factor here. Green Bay has become really a old school type of team this season. They're running the ball a lot more, especially on early downs this season. And they're really just kind of controlling the clock and bleeding the clock throughout the entire game. And it's limiting possessions to put some numbers behind that. The Packers early down run rate in the first half of games this year, it's jumped by 10 percentage points. It was 43% last year, 53% this year. So they're really leaning into this run first mentality. They also playing very slow. They rank 31st in pace of play this season. So they're running a lot. They're bleeding the clock. They're playing very slow. And I mentioned those first half rates because it's not something that's just happening when they build a lead. They're coming out of the gate, playing slow and running the ball. And the result is they're limiting possessions and opponents so far this season against the Packers. They're averaging 55 plays per game. That's the fewest in the league. Now, the defense is obviously a factor there. The factors, the Packers do have a strong defense, especially a strong pass defense. So that is definitely a factor. But I wanted to mention those offensive numbers because I think it's a lot more than just the Packers having a good defense. It's the fact that the offense is coming out. It's a full team game plan to do this. They're trying to bleed the clock, slow the game down, and limit possessions. So I think that this is a possible, possibly a trend that continues against the Packers that we might want to keep an eye out for. It could be something that I try to update for you guys on next week's podcast and something that we use throughout the season. But the other reason why is I think that early in the game, as long as the Giants are relatively close in this one, their strategy is going to be to establish the run. And that does not that's not only because they might have a backup quarterback or because they don't trust Daniel Jones. I think it's it's simply where they match up best against the Packers defense or where the Packers' weakness is. Green Bay ranks 27th in yards per attempt allowed to running backs this season, allowing 5.2 yards per attempt to running backs. They're also allowing three or more yards before contact at the fourth highest rate in the league. So there should be some open running lanes for Saquon Barkley if you wanted to take a flyer on his longest uh, run play. That could be another prop. I'm not going to go that route. I just don't have enough faith in the Giants offensive line. But based on the rate that the Packers are giving up some open running lanes, that could be something you you might want to take a look at. But so early in the game, the Packers have a little bit of a weakness in their run game. We know that the Giants would probably prefer to keep the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands if he's less than 100% or out of Jake Fromm's hands or whoever they got at quarterback this week. They're going to want to lean on the run as well. So if the Giants are leaning on the run, if they're potentially having a little bit of success, that probably also bleeds the clock. So we may have both teams running the ball a lot, playing a little bit slower in the first half. I think we could see a very low passing yardage total for the Giants quarterback, be it Daniel Jones or someone else, in the first half of the game. Now, we think the Packers are probably going to build a lead. They're probably going to have to throw the ball more in the second half. Maybe they pick up the pace a little bit, but I think especially early in the game, his yardage is going to be so low that 
I, I think there's a really good chance that Jones goes to five and zero on the under on his passing yards. Let's move on now to a running back prop that I like, and I'm going to take the under on Christian McCaffrey's rushing yards. And this is really all about a trend that we talked about a lot late last season. I didn't jump back into this trend because, you know, stuff changes over the course of the offseason, but it looks like it's something that we're going to have to pay attention to this year as well. And that's the betting the under on running backs against the 49ers defense. Over the last 17 games, the under for the running back with the highest yardage prop available against the 49ers is 15 and 2. We, we bet this a lot at the end of last season. We had a nice streak of winning, and it has continued this season. Now, whenever we come across a trend like this, I like to ask the question of why. Why is it happening? Because even in a relatively big sample size, like 17 games, there there's some fluky stuff that can happen. And if I can't answer the why to it, then I don't really want to chase this trend. But in this case, I, I do think that there is, are some strong numbers to support why this is happening. And it really has to do with the 49ers' ability to limit long runs. They're not giving up big plays on the ground. And so if you're going to hit the over, you're going to have to do it with volume. But because the 49ers are a good team, they're often playing with a lead. A lot of running backs aren't getting the volume. So if you're not getting a volume against them and you're not getting big plays, you're going to hit the under. So digging into some numbers on this, the opposing running backs against the 49ers, they're gaining 10 or more yards at just a 3.8% rate this season. That's the second lowest rate in the league. And although it's a small sample size through just four games, feel really confident about it because they did this to running backs last year. Opposing running backs gained 10 or more yards at a 6.8% rate against San Francisco last year. That was also the second lowest rate in the league. So they've really carried this trend over from last year to this year, limiting big plays. And now you may be thinking, well, Chris McCaffrey is pretty explosive maybe this is not a trend that we want to bet this week because he's obviously more capable than most of breaking off a big play, even against a good defense. And I would say in a vacuum, yeah, sure. But he plays for the Panthers and he runs behind the Panthers offensive line. And right now McCaffrey's not explosive for that reason. He actually ranks 27th in explosive rush rate so far this season. Only 8.6% of his carries have gone for 10 or more yards so McCaffrey has not been explosive this season behind this Panthers offensive line. The Niners, with a really strong trend going all the way back through last season, have been limiting big plays from running backs at among the highest rates in the league. The 49ers are also favored by 6.5, so good reason to think that McCaffrey's workload in the run game gets diminished a bit in this matchup. So he's probably not going to have a lot of attempts the odds of him breaking off a long run are as low as it's going to be for him in any matchup this season. So I really like the under on McCaffrey's rushing yards against San Francisco. Okay, I've got sort of a strange prop for you next because we're going to go into some punting numbers here. <laughs> Not a bet that I place very often, but I do like looking at over under a number of punts uh, because sometimes there are some strange lines. I think I gave out punting props once or twice last year. And I like the over on five and a half punts in the Falcons Bucks game this week. This is a really low number for a combined number of punts. There have only been 18 games this season where there have been five or fewer combined punts. That's 14% of total games this season have hit the under on this particular number, five and a half. 
Now, the reason why this number is so low is that three of those 18 games have involved one of these teams. The Bucks had only four combined punts in their game against the Chiefs last week. Falcons and Rams combined for two punts in the game earlier this year, and Falcons and Seahawks combined for three punts. So, so the Falcons have uh, been a pretty significant contributor, I think, to why this line is so low because the Bucks. Other than that game against the Chiefs, which had four punts, they had eight combined punts against the Cowboys, 11 against the Saints, and 13 against the Packers. Falcons, so far, they had those two games where they were under five, and their other two games were also under 10. Their game against the Browns last week combined for six punts, then against the Saints, nine punts. So the Falcons have had slightly diminished punt totals in all of their games this season, whereas the Bucks, they really only have that one game against the Chiefs. And, you know, any game against the Chiefs, you're going to expect slightly fewer, uh, slightly fewer punts than normal. So we think that the Falcons are obviously a big reason why this number is relatively low, partially because the Falcons don't have a great defense, also because their offense has been overachieving a bit. But one of the reasons why I like the over on this punt number, not only the fact that just you know, almost every game is going over this number to begin with. And, you know, only four games is a really small sample size to think that uh, think that this is a really legit trend that the Falcons are going to continue with moving forward. But they're without Cordero Patterson. And I think that is a huge blow to the Falcons offense because of who is behind him on the depth chart. Patterson is really, I mean, he's unique. He's such an all-purpose running back. He's a Christian McCaffrey type, not quite on McCaffrey's level in terms of raw talent, but he's that type of playmaker. He's a receiver and a running back. He can do everything for you. And that changes how the defenses have to approach you. But his backups, the guys that they're replacing him with, Tyler Algier and Caleb Huntley, these are straight plodding downhill runners. They don't bring any type of diversity to the game whatsoever. These are just guys that you line up and you just play smash mouth football with. You know, if you follow college football at all, you you remember Tyler Algier. He's a rookie. He spent the last two seasons at uh, you know putting up some pretty good numbers at BYU, but you know that just was a downhill smash mouth style of football that they were playing in the run game at BYU. Caleb Huntley, uh, he's two years removed from college, but I believe this is. I believe this has been his first action that he's actually seen um, after playing at Ball State in college. Uh, he's even a little bit bigger than Algier, I believe, just purely a downhill runner. So the the stuff that you can threaten the defense with when Cordell Patterson is in your backfield, you absolutely can't do that with either Huntley or Algier. And the Falcons don't have an offensive line to line up and just run the ball at people. So you can't really transition your offense to that style of play and you can't continue doing what you were doing with Cordell Patterson. So what do you do? I, I don't know how it's going to work. I would expect their offense to take a pretty significant step backwards because I think Patterson is just too important for him. The ability to have him do different stuff, just even just having him on the field, the way the defense has to account for him is just so much different than when you have a guy like Tyler Algier who's just not a threat running outside the tackles to nearly the extent that Patterson is and certainly not the threat in the passing game that he is. So I don't think the Falcons offense is nearly as dynamic without Patterson. I don't think that they're going to have success against the bucks that they've shown against other teams early in the season. So I think the Falcons are going to punt more than off more than they have earlier this year. The over on five and a half punts looks like a 
I would think a pretty easy win in this one. All right, as always, I like to wrap up the podcast with some Thursday night football talk. We've got Colts at Broncos. Broncos favored by three in this one. And there's two props that I like in this game as well. The first one, the one that I'm a little bit more confident in, is the under 13.5 yards on Melvin Gordon's longest rush. Now, we think there's a possibility he sees a bigger workload in this game with Javante Williams being out, but I don't think they're going to ramp up his usage to an extreme. He's 29 years old. It's early in the season. It just doesn't make sense for them to you know, give him 20 to 25 carries at this point. It's probably not it's probably not the direction that they want to go, knowing that they're going to have to lean on him a little bit more than they had hoped to this season. The other big factor is really just looking at Gordon over the past couple of years. He's not the same explosive playmaker that he used to be. And the Broncos offense this year, it's just not, they're just not that creative. They're not putting their running backs in the best position to be successful. Broncos ball carries are running into a stacked box on 79% of their carries, excluding short yards attempts. So if you remove short yards attempts, these are the plays where you should be getting more creative, spreading things out, putting your running backs into a better position to succeed. But the Broncos are not doing that. They're forcing the running backs to run into a stacked box and really putting them in a bad position. And when you're doing that, you're not going to get the explosive plays. And so the under on Gordon's longest rush looks really good. When he's run into a stacked box over the past two seasons, Gordon has gained 14 or more yards on just six of 195 carries. That's just 3% of plays. So let's just do a little bit of math here. I mean, let's say he does get to 20 carries, which is I'm purposely overestimating, I think. That means we would think about 14 to 16 carries are going to be into a stacked box. And, you know, based on what we've seen in the last two seasons, we can pretty safely say that's close to a 0% chance that any of those carries produce 14 or more yards. So, you know, we're saying that maybe six carries, maybe four to six carries, he's getting into a light box. That's his opportunity to hit the over. He's going to have about four to six carries into a light box, and he's got to break off one of those runs for 14 or more yards. So what are the odds that that happens? Well, over the past two years, when he runs into a light box, 7% of his carries have gone for 14 or more yards. Now, that's a big jump from running into a stack box. That's more than double the rate of him picking up long runs in a light box compared to a stacked box, but it's still only 7%. That's a really low number. And given the rate that the Broncos have been forcing their ball carries into a stacked box, a 7% chance on four to six carries is really, really low. (laughs) The odds of him going, hitting the over on this just seem incredibly low. I'm surprised that this number is even so high. He just, He's not the same explosive player that he was early in his career, and the Broncos are not putting him in a position to be explosive. So I feel pretty good about Gordon's longest rush staying under 13 and a half yards. All right, the other prop that I like for Thursday night is another under. I'm going to take the under on 230 and a half passing yards for Russell Wilson. And this has to do with a trend uh, involving the Colts' defense. Quarterbacks who are favored against the Colts the under on their passing yards is 9-1 and one since the start of 2021. Now, why is this happening? I think it really just has to do with the Colts' defense has been underestimated. Pretty continuously, we've seen this line at a point where good quarterbacks where it's just too high. The, most of these lines are not close calls. They're, they're regularly missing the over by 20 to 40 yards. 
uh, week in and week out when these players are favored against the Colts defense. And I think it's just a little bit too much underestimating the Colts defense, giving a little bit of too much credit to quarterbacks like Russell Wilson and other quarterbacks who have a good reputation. And one of the things that makes me believe that is the only quarterbacks to hit the over on their passing yards against the Colts, regardless of whether they were favored in the game or not, were either rookies last year or quarterbacks of very obviously run first teams. Now the four rookies were Davis Mills twice last year, hit the over on his passing yards against the Colts. Trevor Lawrence did it once, Mac Jones, and then the two quarterbacks of run heavy teams, Ryan Tannehill and Lamar Jackson. So I think what's happening is these lines are being set more based on the quality of the quarterback than factoring in the quality Colts defense. And so they probably overestimated the Colts or they probably underestimated uh, those rookie quarterbacks and the run heavy teams. They set the line just too low based on the fact that they were rookies based on the fact that those are very run heavy teams, the Titans and Ravens. And then with the other quarterbacks, they set the line too high because they simply trusted the quarterback more than they factored in the Colts pass defense, which has limited passing yardage. Uh, at a pretty consistent rate. And so, as I said, quarterback under when favored is 9-1 and one since the start of 2021. And again, we've got a relatively high number here for Russell Wilson at 230 yards. I think that this is number is just too high. Wilson is not going to be able to put up that kind of yardage against a Colts defense that has been really consistent. And just look at Wilson the past few games. I mean, I think the Houston game is a great example example 219 yards against houston 184 yards against san francisco he put up big numbers against seattle but you know we're a few games into the season now and it's pretty well established that that's one of the worst defenses in the league so 340 yards against seattle that really looks like an outlier based on the fact that they were playing a terrible defense in the season opener and his passing yards has dropped significantly since then. So I think going up against a Colts defense, which should be able to limit the Broncos passing game, I think that this trend holds true, and I'm going to take the under on Russell Wilson's passing yards. That's it for this week's podcast. Hope you had a fun and profitable week five. 